thanks for dialing into our podcast. We're the Light Church Bradford here in Yorkshire, England, a church committed to following Jesus and loving our city back to life again. We truly hope and pray this week's message helps you and encourages you on your journey, especially in these really challenging times. Well, thank you so many of you that uh, sent WhatsApp messages responding to why is a great mum like a great church? And uh, there's a really good reason I'm asking that question. And it's because of the very reason and the nature of Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday. It's about the old fashioned, the former understanding of Mothering Sunday and the current one. So the old one used to be about the church where you were born again, the church that you were often born into and raised in, or maybe you became a Christian in and you got baptised in. And on Mothering Sunday, you used to return to that church to celebrate the fact that that was where you kind of started your new life with Jesus. More recent years, more recent decades, it's become around celebrating mums. So why is a mum like a great mum, like a great church? Well, I believe that the two should go together and I'm going to end right there. But before I do that, um, I'm going to, yeah, unpack a little bit of scripture for you around, well, just celebrating women, celebrating mums. Mothering Sunday has fallen on International Women's Day week as well. And so why not combine the two? You know, as we seek to be a family of disciples, making disciples, it is right that we stop and that we honour the mums in our midst. Those that are raising children who are part of our church, those who have raised children and maybe their children are elsewhere in the country. And also those of you that are called to be spiritual mums. Maybe you don't have physical children of your own, but you're called to help raise disciples. You know, the prophetic picture I had as I was preparing for this, you know, always asking God to speak to me as I prepare a message. And the picture I had was that of a train. And uh, there are different classes of train. There are different standards of, of train. There are different classes within trains as well. You know, there's the first class, the swanky, the luxury, the all of that side of things. Then there's the standard class, isn't there, where the rest of us tend to sit And then in some countries, there's the sitting on the roof, hanging off the side class as well. And I believe God wanted to say this. This is a bit of a prophetic statement. You can test it and see whether you agree that this is the Holy Spirit. I believe God would say this. The days of second class citizens were meant to have finished with Jesus. I have no second class citizens in my kingdom, only first class. I have no cannots, I have no shall nots when it comes to gifting or spiritual authority on the basis of race or gender. There is no longer male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. And that's really part of the message I want to get over because when it comes to you being a mum, when it comes to you being a woman of God, men, keep listening because this is about you and your heart and your attitude as well. You need to know that you are all placed in the first class carriage. You need to know that your identity is in God. You need to know the status he holds you in and he wants you all, he wants you to be all that he called you to be from that place of that first class status. 
that image bearer of God. There is no second class when it comes to bearing the image of God. But sometimes this can be hard. And let's tell the truth here, even though the truth is a bit painful. It is true that in Bible times, women were seen as second-class citizens. It's also been true that for most of church history since the time of Jesus, women have also often been relegated to a second place. And it's my job as a teacher of the way of Jesus, a teacher of the Bible, to tell you that I believe the biblical evidence is conclusive, that it's God's very best plan that men and women be seen as equal, genuinely equal, both, both first-class citizens, despite some of the understanding of the Bible writers of their time. So I want to have a look at what the Bible says. Before I do this, because you know, often people say, well, can we not hear both sides of the argument? Well, in a sense, I haven't got time to do both sides of the argument, but I will say this. If I wanted to create an argument that basically put women down, to create an argument that kind of argued that women were somehow inferior to men, were somehow a second-class citizen to men, I could do that very easily from the Bible. I could. But I believe, and I believe that there is a growing understanding, rightfully so, that there is a bigger story at the work at work than the cultural understanding that they had at the time. I believe it was Jesus' story. This isn't just Matt's story. This isn't just Matt trying to be politically correct. This is Matt trying to be theologically correct. So let's start at the very beginning. Genesis 1 verse 27 tells us this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it goes on to repeat it. It repeats it in Genesis 5. It says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. Named them mankind when they were created. So right from the outset of the Bible, the writer of the creation story is really clear that male is the image of God and female is the image of God. And this is the foundation for all human dignity. And I believe it's also the foundation for our equality before God. All of us men he made in his image and all of you women he made in his image as well. It says it there in black and white in the text. And you might be thinking, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, Matt, duh, that's really, really obvious. But sometimes we need to know some of the history that has come since those words have written and, yeah, consider it. <clears throat> For example, Augustine. Um, he was one of the greatest Christian theologians ever, a much greater theologian than I uh, will ever be. But he taught this. He taught that woman does not possess the image of God in herself, but only when taken together with the male who is her head. So that the whole substance is one image. But when she's assigned the role as helpmate, 
a function that pertains to her alone. So in other words, when she's on her own, then she is not the image of God. Now, okay, that was from 350 BC, uh, not BC, AD, roughly. Um, and you might think, <clears throat> how ridiculous is that? Where on earth does he, does he get that from? Well, actually, he gets it from Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, where it says, he's talking about head coverings. He says, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Yeah. You've read that correctly, and I've looked for all the translations to find a translation that I prefer. <clears throat> I don't find one. Um, it says, he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Augustine read that, and he took that to mean that man is made in the image of God to reflect God's glory. Woman, not so much. Now, you might be saying, well, what on earth do we do with a verse like that? Well, I've read a fair few commentators um, yeah, uh, so some commentators talk about, well, just the fact it doesn't say that woman is the image of God doesn't mean that woman isn't, just because he's left that out. Mm, that's one argument. Uh, I like uh, uh, one commentator basically saying that, yeah, really what he's saying is that woman is the completeness of man. It says that when woman was created, that man gloried in her, which is amazing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, really, without you women... We're not quite as impressive as we think we are. Now, it's rare nowadays to find Christian believers who would agree with Augustine on this. And I realise I've kind of taken the mood down a little bit when I'm supposed to be celebrating you women. But I feel like I need to speak to this because I believe it's, it's this kind of belief that has been at the, yeah, at the kind of the root of so much what I think is kind of unhelpful theology. So I want to take a little look to see where the feminine <coughs> breaks through, where the feminine breaks through in the word of God and we see something of, yeah, that part of the image of God shining through scripture. So firstly, let's get a little bit geeky. So whenever you read the Old Testament and you read the word spirit, you are reading a feminine word, okay? So in English, we don't have male words and feminine words, but in a lot of other languages, they do. And ruach is a feminine word to the point where some theologians argue that actually we should, you know, refer to the Holy Spirit as a she. Um, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, but actually I think the main point is he or she does not do it justice, does not do the Holy Spirit justice. Um, the ancient Jews rightly saw that, that God was beyond gender, even though consistently they did refer to God as male. But in other places, we see uh, God and God's word leaning into analogies that are feminine in their essence. What I find interesting is often where they do use a, a feminine analogy, um, there's often a male alongside it. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 18, um, talking to the people and uh, he, he says, you deserted the rock who fathered you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. And so in that one, that one verse, male and female coming together, the rock who fathered you, the God who actually gave you birth. In Job 38, we something, see something really similar. 
uh, in verse 28, it says, does the rain have a father who, who fathers the drops of dew? And then in verse 29, and then it says, from whose womb comes the ice and who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? So in, so in there again, we see the father analogy and we see the mother analogy coming through as well. The male in the image of God and the female in the image of God. Now, a couple of things around nursing and raising small children. And uh, for you, uh, particularly you young mothers out there, uh, babies galore this year. It's been amazing, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, it says this in Isaiah 49. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? So ask this question. And then God says, even though, though these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God identifying as a nursing mother who cannot forget the child that has been at his breast. In 1 Peter 2, 2 to 3, it says this. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that's talking to us. So a newborn baby crave spiritual milk. Where do newborn babies get their milk from? We all know, and I don't have them, and uh, well, I'm getting there. <laughs> so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I'd never seen this before, but newborn babies, spiritual milk, tasting that the Lord is good. This is, this is kind of breastfeeding imagery uh, that is standing out here from one Peter. And so God is allowing there to be feminine images. Yes, to go alongside all of the hundreds and thousands of male and father images. But I want to point it out because I want you mums to know that as you're raising your kids, as you're nursing them, as you're having compassion on them, as you're giving them both that physical milk and that spiritual milk, that you are bringing the image of God. And in Isaiah 66 and Matthew 23, we see that comforting mother heart. And admittedly, with all of these images, what makes a mum, what makes a dad, there's a lot that should be in common, isn't there? Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. This is God. As a mother comforts her child, I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. In other words, Jesus is like, I want to be like a big mother hen and take you all under my wing. I could keep going um, and really I just wanted to show you some of the, I guess, some of the more maternal images that God allows to be used about himself in the Bible. I could really get the drum of female equality out and bang it really loud because it is something I've been passionate about for two decades now. I could talk about how Jesus had women as part of his followers. In the, you read that in the first few verses of Luke 8, I could talk about how where Mary, as in Mary and Martha, sat at the feet of Jesus. And we all think of it as some kind of, you know, 
kind of worship posture and there will have been a degree of that. But actually, really, the term she sat at his feet was the posture of an apprentice learning from a rabbi, a disciple learning from their master. That was radical. That should not have been done. Women were not to be educated in the things of God, but Jesus taught them. We could talk about how Jesus revealed himself, revealed himself first to women at the resurrection and allowed the first ever evangelists to be women. We could talk about how Paul said in Christ, no longer male nor female. And this wasn't gender deconstruction. This wasn't about there being no gender. This was saying that both are equal and the same. So why? Why all this equality stuff on Mother's Day? Well, i just be honest with you. I want to play my part in deconstructing two millennia of less than favourable views of women in the church. I believe that you can be better mums and better women of God if you understand that you stand in the same spiritual authority alongside your husbands. You stand in the same spiritual authority if you are a single woman. You have authority to be a teacher of God's word, to be a disciple maker, to be a pastor of your own flock. And I'm not saying that's only when the men are in another room because you're only allowed to teach women and children. But more importantly, I think there have been too many women who have heard a message of you are second best, you are second class, you're not as good as your brother, my son, the man over there. And listen, mums, as you raise your children, as you do the most important discipleship act you will ever do. Raising a child is the most important discipleship act you will ever do. I want you to raise both your sons and your daughters to understand how God sees them. That he doesn't have a second class carriage when it comes to gifting. That he doesn't have a second class carriage when it comes to spiritual authority. And as I've thought about this, as I've thought about how, yeah, how you women out there are truly amazing mums, as I've thought about the essence of motherhood and what it is to bring a child up, it made me realise that actually what I'm trying to do in building a church along with my leadership team and along with all of you is pretty much on a par with what you as a mum are trying to do at home. These were my five principles that I believe are, yeah, a brilliant mum and a brilliant church. Most of you hit them, in, but these, are, these were mine. Number one, you overflow with love. Mums, many of you do this so naturally. Overflow with love. As a church, we need to overflow with love. Number two, keep Jesus at the centre. Jesus at the centre of your family and Jesus at the centre of our church. Learn the way of Jesus, teach the way of Jesus, walk and follow in the way of Jesus. Number three, let your kids be their true selves. And just as we want our kids to be their true selves, I want you to be your true selves. Admittedly, sometimes we need help in finding our true selves to understand that. But it's not trying to squeeze someone into some kind of clearly labelled box. 
It's around being free to be the people that God made us to be. Number four, remember that mistakes and imperfection are all part of the journey. And boy, is that going to be true in church. Yeah, every church expect mistakes and imperfection because we're being led by very imperfect people. And same with your kids. Expect it. Expect it. And pour on grace. And number five, recognise that in the home, as in the church, raising well-adjusted disciples who love God is the ultimate aim. But we can only do so much. The rest we leave up to God. I pray this has made you think. I pray that as you go into this week, if you're a woman, you walk with your head held a little higher because of who God sees you to be. And I pray that us men make greater space to be blessed by your gifts, to lead with you as we seek to lead and love this city of Bradford back to life again. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, you made it to the end. That's even more encouraging. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, visit our website at thelightchurch.org.uk. We pray God's blessing on you now as you go into the rest of your day.